College Basketball Podcast. This is Jonathan here with Sean. What an upset. Ron Harper Jr. drills a 40-footer off-balance three, takes down Purdue. We're going to have a new number one team going into next week. I, I have no idea who it's going to be, whether it's uh, probably going to be Baylor, assuming they're able to take care of Villanova. But uh, It'll be Baylor or Duke. Yeah, Baylor. I don't know. Duke could lose. Who do they play? I don't think uh, they, they do play. Oh, so ba- Baylor, Duke it is. Unless uh, the AP voters. Yeah, they don't play for like, Yeah, they don't play till Tuesday. Yeah, so Baylor, Duke, that's that's who it probably will end up being. Uh, I, I would argue you could make a very legitimate case for Arizona, but. I agree, they are, yep. They're ranked 11th, so unlikely the AP poll voters are going to uh, suddenly reward Arizona with the number one ranking. But, uh, yeah, Purdue is not going to be the number one team because they, they take a uh, buzzer-beating loss, just an awesome scene from the rack, uh, awesome moment for Ron Harper Jr., who decided to stick around all the way to his senior year to have, have this moment to uh, beat the number one team in the country. And, look, Rutgers had gotten off to a uh, quite terrible start this season, was 4-4, four and four, hadn't really beaten anyone good. But this is how you uh, make memories because, uh, you know, maybe you don't end up making the NCAA tournament, but you're still always going to be the first team uh, in program history to beat uh, a number one team, and that's what Rutgers did. That shot by Ron Harper Jr. is definitely the shot of the year so far when you consider the circumstances. They're playing the number one team in the country. They're at home. The rack is one of the best home court environments in college basketball. And just the way he made the shot, Ethan Morton didn't play great defense there. I feel like he could have stayed in front of Ron Harper Jr. But it's a good move by Ron Harper Jr. to split the defenders and get a really clean look from like 31 feet and be able to drill that because it was a tough shot. But he was able to get a pretty clean look, all things considered. He had 30 points, which matches his career high, which he set last year against Fairleigh Dickinson. He's a very big-time player, and he struggled the last year plus. He was really good to begin last year. Then he struggled near the end. He struggled so far this year. But if this is the point where Ron Harper Jr. starts to play big-time basketball again, once Rutgers gets Geo Baker back, the depth is definitely a problem, especially down low. They don't really have anybody besides Cliff Amorier down low. But if they're able to rattle off some more high-quality wins, that could get rid of some the loss to Lafayette. That could not matter as much. The loss at UMass, that's probably not going to be that bad of a loss, probably a Quadrant 2 loss. But if you're able to rack up some more wins, Rutgers could definitely find their way into the bubble conversation but it's kind of all predicated on Ron Harper Jr. playing like an all-Big Ten first-team kind of guy. Yeah, and they, they certainly dug themselves a hole uh, at this point. I mean, they play at Seton Hall. That's not a mandatory win, but they're probably going to have to go 11-9 and nine in Big Ten play, assuming they're able to uh, sneak by Ryder, uh, Central Connecticut State, and Maine, which – you know, and the Big Ten is kind of hard to do, so I, I would bet against them making the NCAA tournament. But you know, there's there's not a better win than beating Purdue out there. I guess you could theoretically win at Purdue, which they will, I guess, get a rematch later in the season. 
they could win at Purdue, but aside from that, there's not a better win out there for Rutgers to get. Uh, but they're still, you know, got a lot of work to do, but this is still a big win for this program uh, to get this, you know, type of signature win and uh, to be able to celebrate with the fans because, like, two two years ago when they would have made the NCAA tournament in 2020, they obviously stormed the court and would have made the NCAA tournament, but there's obviously no NCAA tournament. So this was kind of like a revalidation uh, of, you know, the success that Rutgers has had. And even though they have had some early season struggles, they were ranked uh, below 200th in the net. Uh, this has to feel good for this program that uh, certainly hasn't been able to celebrate the way they would like with the fans they have. Yeah, they'll they'll definitely win a lot of home games. They're going to have to win some road games too, but no matter what, this is a, a memory that Rutgers and Rutgers fans will have for a long time because of the way they want. Yeah, most definitely. And they'll play at Seton Hall on Sunday. We'll get into that uh, game a little bit later, but uh, certainly a big win for this Rutgers program. And as for Purdue, I mean, they're still going to be ranked probably top five in the poll. Uh, we're debating. I think Baylor will probably, assuming they beat Villanova, they'll be the number one team. Uh, that's, I guess, a big assumption. But, uh, yeah, Purdue will still be top five. They're still going to be the favorite to win the Big Ten regular season championship. Uh, they're still going to probably be on track to get a number one seed. But, uh, just a tough loss, and it was kind of, I think, proof of what happened in the Iowa game. Uh, they let Iowa hang around a little bit too long. Same thing, again, happened with Rutgers. They had multiple opportunities. They, I think, got the lead up to eight at one point. Could have, you know, finished the game a little bit uh, and put out reach for Rutgers, and they really did not. Uh, they went ice cold in the final few minutes, and uh, Rutgers ends up taking the lead. Trayvon Williams has the nice, you know, back to, back to basket post up uh, to take the lead. But, of course, uh, anything can happen in three seconds, and Ron Harper Jr. made something happen. Yeah, that that was a big-time play by Harper. Yeah. Uh, so, certainly a big win for Rutgers. Certainly a big win, though, for the state of New Jersey because Seton Hall takes down Texas 64-60. to uh, It was a high-scoring affair in the first half, and neither team could make a shot in the second half, but certainly a good win for Seton Hall. Bryce Aiken hit the kind of shot that gave them the four-point lead. Uh, Texas offensively looked like a mess in the second half. Uh, Trey Mitchell was eating inside in the first half, and Felt like Seton Hall made some adjustments, took away Mitchell inside in the second half, and uh, Texas didn't really have a response. They threw up threes and kept missing them, went one for 13 from the perimeter, uh, which is obviously not ideal. Uh, but, yeah, Texas falls to Seton Hall in this game. Yeah, I mean, I'm not concerned about Texas necessarily yet because the talents there, Dylan Dissu hasn't played but when you're looking at what Texas has done so far, they've played two high-profile games. They've lost both, 
Their best win is against Northern Colorado or Cal Baptist. Either one, uh, Northern Colorado's 187 in Ken Palm and Cal Baptist is 207. So they don't have any quality wins so far in the two teams they've played that will be in the NCAA tournament. They lost both of those and the remainder of their non-conference slate comes against Pine Bluff, Stanford, Rice, and Incarnate Word. That is not any NCAA tournament teams. So we're going to be talking about a Texas team that has not won against an NCAA tournament-level team heading into conference play. I don't know how big of a role that actually plays because they haven't lost any bad games, but they're going to have to win some of these high-quality games if this is a team we're talking about making the NCAA tournament. I think they will, but right now they don't have any resume-building wins, and I think that's something we have to remember when we talk about Texas. Yeah, I think they'll very comfortably sneak into the NCAA tournament. Uh, probably, but not getting these high quality wins, like it certainly limits the seed line they can get. And, you know, I do think it, once they get in Big 12 play, they're not going to, you know, coast to like 13 and 5 record. Big 12 is going to be a gauntlet this season. They're going to have probably a stretch where they lose like, uh, two, three, four in a row. Uh, that's just going to happen in the Big 12 because the Big 12's, uh, very tough this season, but, uh, the same kind of token, I think Texas at this point does limit what they can do seed-wise. Like, Iowa State has certainly gone off to a great start. We'll get to them later. Uh, if Iowa State and Texas finish with the same record in Big 12 play, let's say they hypothetically even split or Texas sweeps both games, Iowa State's going to end up with a higher seed in the NCAA tournament because Iowa State did what they did in non-conference play. And... That's one thing I think with Texas, not really scheduling too difficult. I get they wanted to get some uh, wins, get you know a couple unique opportunities. Uh, I think played a game in their volleyball center uh, earlier this year, which uh, is de- definitely unique. But uh, getting high-quality wins in non-conference play, like an Iowa State d- did, uh, like a Baylor has done already, like those are – things that are going to, uh, when you get into March Madness, that's going to be able to elevate uh, your seed line. And Texas, at this point, probably not, you know, if they, if they obviously go, like, 16-2 and two in the Big 12, maybe they get a one seed. But at this point, I think they're probably staring down, like, a three or a four seed come NCAA tournament time. And you mentioned Iowa State a moment ago. Let's get into their win over Iowa. They were able to go eight and zero now in in non or nine and zero in non conference play this season with the win at Creighton, a win over Memphis, which we'll see how good that is, a win over Xavier, and a win by twenty over Iowa. Iowa's lost three in a row, but Iowa State ranked twentieth in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. Isaiah Brockington with another big game. Isaiah Brockington is looking like a legitimate first-team All-Big 12 kind of player, but there's a lot going right for this Iowa State team. They play hard. They might not have the most talent in the world, that's for sure, but Tristan Anaruna, that's a guy we've always known as a good defender, and he's playing good defense again. Gabe Kalsher, good defender. Tyrese Hunter, one of the best on-ball defenders in the Big 12 already. Isaiah Brockington's a good defender. So there's loads of good defenders on the team. I think T.J. Otzelberger is a little underrated as a coach. I didn't love the hire when it happened, but what you also have to consider is his three years at South Dakota State, two of them ended up in 24-plus win seasons, including a trip, uh, two trips to the NCAA tournament and 18-win year 
the year that they, uh, 18 when you're the first year they made the tournament. Didn't go great at UNLV, but also it's worth remembering that there's only one team in conference play, not counting the conference tournament, that beat San Diego State in 2019-2020, and that was UNLV. So things didn't go right for Osselberg at UNLV, but he's getting it going at Iowa State. Do you think the Cyclones are legit? That's my question to you. Yeah, I think they're – yeah, I'm not going to say they're up there with – I would say Baylor and Kansas are the clear, like, two best teams. I think they're kind of, like, right there with Texas, I think a little bit ahead of Texas Tech in terms of, like, where they would be positioned uh, in the Big 12. But, yeah, this Iowa State team is certainly looking very good, Uh, you dominating your arch rival. And I I get I was not the – you know, level team they were a season ago, but this is still a very fantastic performance. Held Iowa to 53 points. Iowa had scored 70 or more points uh, all of this season. I'm not sure what they did every single game last season, but I'd be willing to bet they scored 70 or more in pretty much every mm-hmm. single game their, a season ago. So their lowest point total was 62 in a win over Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament. Interesting. Must have been like a slow pace or something. But uh I think so. I don't really remember this game to be honest with you, but um Iowa won. Luca Garza had twenty four. So yeah. uh about what you could expect from an Iowa team. But um it's actually kinda interesting when you think about it. So their defensive efficiency this year is like forty spots worse than last year, but like their their defense is noticeably better. That's kinda interesting to me. Like their defense looks so much better, but they're a lot worse. Uh, efficiency wise, but you know this is three straight losses for Iowa. Uh, for a team that got hot early, they play a neutral site game on Saturday, not, not this Saturday, but the Saturday after against Utah State. And that's not an easy game, so they could lose theoretically four straight. Then they play Southeastern Louisiana. You'd like to assume that one's a win, and they get a really sneaky Western Illinois team that's been one of the best teams in the Summit League so far this year. Right before conference play really kicks off on January 3rd. So I would really would like to have this game against Utah State because when you look at their resume, they have a road win against Virginia. That's still probably going to be a quadrant one win, but we'll get to them in a minute. But besides that, there's not much here. No, and I, I would say that Virginia win might be quad two even, which I don't I, know. I mean, it's Virginia. I mean, do, do you just want to get into Virginia now? I mean, might as well, right? Uh, I, I have a couple more things on Iowa State, but like, I want to finish up on like TJ Altsberger. He he probably should have gotten the job back when uh, Fred Hoiberg first t- took the Bulls job. Uh, it was him versus Steve Prome. They obviously went with Steve Prome, but he was someone that like knew the area, knew you know, recruited all the transfers uh, into Iowa State and had good connection with the players. And uh, I at the time, kind of surprised they didn't go with him to begin with, uh, but it's certainly, you know, with them moving on with C Prome and going with Otzelberger, it's certainly paid off uh, thus far. And now Iowa State is 9-0 and to start the season, uh, going to make the NCAA tournament, uh, unless they just dramatically fall off a cliff. But uh, going back to Iowa, you know, t- tough for them, but uh, they still do have that Virginia win, which, again, might not be a quadrant one win either. 
Yeah, Virginia, I mean, it's easy to spot why they're not good, and we've seen it since the beginning of the season. Like, this has been just a bad season since the first game of the year. It's The shooting is just not there at all, and their defense, quite honestly, hasn't been very good. They have, they currently have their worst defensive efficiency since 2010-2011. So their defense is not as good. They don't have a ton of talent, and there's only so much a coach can do. Armand Franklin, the team's best pure shooter, 11 for 54, 20 Reese Beekman is shooting 15% from three. Uh, Kihei Clark, he's actually having a really good year, 40% from deep. But when Kihei Clark's your best scorer, you're just not a very good team. I mean, I guess Jaden Gardner is technically the best scorer, but he's not a shooter either. So when your lone reliable three-point threat is a guy that shouldn't be your number one uh, shooting threat ever, that means you're just not a very good team. And that's the point that, that we're at here with Virginia they played a tough road game and lost to James Madison. But at this point, I just don't I don't think this is an NCAA tournament team. There's only so much a coach can do. There's just not enough talent for Virginia to make the NCAA tournament. I feel pretty comfortable in saying that because the offense just isn't going to figure itself out. There, There's nothing Tony Bennett can really do. There's not. Yeah. I mean, I guess the players can kind of develop throughout the season, uh, get marginally better. But at this point, like, the the more concerning thing is, I mean, they nearly lost to Pittsburgh, uh, which should should not have happened with the way Pittsburgh has been playing this season. Uh, you know, James Madison lost. I think it was kind of it was something that we all could see coming. Uh, we I don't know if we predicted that the, Virginia would lose, but it was certainly I, I like win. yeah, it was certainly though like within the realm of possibility that. You know, this would be kind of a rock fight. Uh, I think the Vegas line was four on it uh, in favor of Virginia. So it five and a half at, at the close, I think. Okay, well, uh, even then, like five five and a half is not a necessarily huge spread uh, going into it to begin with. So the, it was certainly within the realm of possibility, and that just kind of goes to show. Uh, how bad this Virginia team has been because two years ago, if James Madison is playing Virginia and you have Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, like the spread is probably looking at like 16, 17, and Virginia is winning this game by 20. Uh, that's just how far they've fallen. And uh, I guess it's been three years since the Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome. And uh, look, Tony Bennett has kind of missed on a couple recruits, didn't go big in the transfer portal, which I think was kind of a mistake. We'll see what he kind of does this offseason, but this team, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, even if they get marginally better in ACC play, uh, there's only, I guess they, they play three games against Duke and North Carolina total, uh, which are the only two teams that seem like, you know, top 30 teams in the sport because the rest of the ACC is not very good. So there's not going to be many opportunities to pick up quality wins to begin with. And that's going to be hard because at that point, Virginia is probably going to have to go uh, like 14-6 and six just to make the NCAA tournament, which is tough to do. I'll say this. This is kind of my closing thought on Virginia. I know Tony Bennett's going to catch a lot of heat for whatever goes on this season. There's not, there's maybe one or two coaches in college basketball I'd rather have coaching my team 
if I were than Tony Bennett. He's one of the best coaches in college basketball. Every even great coaches like Tony Bennett have bad seasons. Duke didn't make the tournament last year. Kentucky didn't make the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, that happens. You have down seasons, and Virginia isn't quite at that blue blood level, but Tony Bennett has turned them into a consistent NCAA tournament title contender every single season for the most part, been able to develop NBA talent. This is not a Tony Bennett problem. I think he's going to get the team right next year. I think we're going to see a really motivated Virginia team. And, hey, you never know what can happen. Maybe they get really hot in conference play and make the tournament, but – Based on what we see right now, that doesn't look like it's going to happen, but it could. But Tony Bennett is still one of the five best coaches in college basketball, and I I will die on that hill. Like that that's that's the thing that's a take I feel very comfortably about because of what he's been able to do. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly an argument for it. Who would I I let's see. I would I would take Jay Wright, and then that's that's it. That's the list. I would take Jay Wright. I would take. Uh, Mark Few, let's see, I'd take, at this point, I'd probably take Scott Drew over him, because uh, Scott also has a national championship, but seemingly, I think, built off that national championship, plus had a tougher rebuild at Baylor, so I'd take Scott Drew, uh, Coach K is going to retire, so I that's out of there, but Probably take Bill Self over him. Uh, that might be it. But yeah, it, he, he's definitely like one of the five, ten best coaches in college basketball. Uh, but yeah, he, he the big thing for him going forward is getting the right type of players, getting uh, some of these younger players some more minutes, and then. Next year, they just got to, I think, whether it's getting in some new recruits, playing them a lot of minutes, whether it's hitting the transfer pole, uh, just kind of mixing it up because the team that currently is there uh, just, you know, it isn't good. Like Reese Beekman, I think you could keep him around. He's a good uh, point guard. Probably not good playing next to Kihei Clark when you have two players under uh, six foot two. Uh, that's well, not. Ideal, one thing but. about it, one thing about it is I think Beekman was a guy that I, we all hoped, and I think Virginia was hoping would take a step up this year, but it just hasn't happened. So I think when just guys haven't developed the way you thought they'd develop, that's a big reason maybe why they didn't pursue a guard in the portal. Like Franklin's kind of a guard. He's mostly a wing, but uh, kind of the same thing for the most part. He can play the two and the three, but it, that's probably why Virginia didn't overly pursue guards because of the way Reese Beekman finished out last season. He was really solid down the stretch, hit that game winner against Syracuse. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it really is, and I think we're going to see Virginia really attack the transfer portal this offseason, get some big-time players. Yeah, I, I would definitely say going forward, I'd, I'd like Beekman to be the starting point guard for them. Like, I think he's pretty solid in that type of role, uh, he's just, I think, when he's asked to be, like, the number two scorer on the team, that's not really his role. He's kind of like a different version of Kihei Clark. Uh, and that way we're, like, if you surround him with good players, I think he will succeed, but he can't be the go-to option. I think that's kind of what I would say uh, Beekman is kind of like. 
Uh, you'll you'll get some development with Shedrick, Kaparo. Uh, so I, I think those two are fine at the five spot. They just got to work on filling the roster out with uh, some better options, two through uh, four on this lineup. Uh, but, yeah, Virginia, just they don't have it this year. Uh, one team that felt like they had it and then did not have it it was Indiana because they had at one point a 22 point lead against Wisconsin. Wisconsin looked dead in the water, and Indiana slowly but surely squanders the lead. Uh, Wisconsin uh, outscored Indiana 39 to 17 in the second half. Johnny Davis took over. He is looking like a legitimate All American. Might be a first team All American. Might be a second team All American. He's going to be on one of those All-American lists uh, at the end of the season. Hit 23 points, uh, nine rebounds, just continues to have a fantastic season. Uh, didn't get a whole lot else scoring-wise, but uh, good for Wisconsin to kind of grind out uh, possessions defensively after a big explosion by Indiana in the first half, and they come away with a nice win. I'll tell you why Indiana lost based just off two stats, and I watched the entire game and I was kind of surprised with the Trace Jackson Davis only having nine points. That I feel like he was more of a factor. Uh, he did get doubled a lot, so that was a big part of it. But they missed seven free throws, six for 13 from the foul line. That's why they lost. Uh, you have to hit free throws. You have to get your best player involved. They didn't do either of those things nearly enough, and that's why Wisconsin beat them. That, that's why. Yeah. I mean, if Xavier Johnson and Race Thompson are taking more shots than Trace Jackson Davis – and Trace Jackson Davis, like, if Jackson Davis had, like, four fouls and was in foul trouble and could only play, uh, you know, 17 minutes, that's one thing. But if Tr- Trace Jackson Davis played 31 minutes in this game, had one foul, was on the court basically the entire game, and still got the third most shots on the team. Like, that should never happen. And Indiana needs to... One, just pound the ball into him a little bit more because uh, he's your All-American. You live and die with him taking those type of shots. And Xavier Johnson, uh, it wasn't like he was cooking either. He went 4-16-0-1 from three. Uh, Race Thompson had a good night. Race Thompson solid. But you just don't want Xavier Johnson taking over the game in that type of way. And he did. Uh, he was a brick machine in this game. Yeah, a rough loss for Indiana there. Speaking of rough losses, Florida just gets absolutely blown out by Texas Southern at home. And that was kind of one, I didn't watch the first half, I watched the second half. Texas Southern just played harder. They played harder than Florida. They played really good defense. They turned the ball over 22 times and were still able to win. They contested a bunch of Florida shots. Florida had a few good looks, but it was a lot of contested looks. And that's all credit to Texas Southern's effort on the defensive end. They're a really solid team, and I get it, they were 0-7 before. But if you look at who they played, played Oregon, St. Mary's, Washington Air Force, NC State, BYU, Louisiana Tech. Those are tough games. Like, the only one I think they were favored in was against Air Force. So the rest, they were underdogs in. They might have been underdogs against Air Force. I think it was pretty close. But when you're playing that hard of a schedule, I mean, that's one of the toughest schedules in college basketball so far. 
So I don't think they're really an 0-7 team. They were probably the best 0-7 team in college basketball. And they were able to go to Gainesville and win that game. Just an impressive win for Johnny Jones and Texas Southern. They're definitely going to be right there in the SWAC once again. Uh, and it was it was good to see it was good to see them get this win here. Yeah, and it, this is a prime example of you know anything can happen on any given night in college basketball. I mean we we saw it here uh, just before we recorded with obviously records being uh, Purdue. Like upsets can happen all the time, and if you are not bringing, you know, Florida probably did not bring one their A game. Probably didn't even bring their C game. Probably played like at a D or an F level uh, in terms of like a grade on this uh if you if you aren't aren't showing up and playing your hardest on any given night you can lose to anyone this Florida team uh really never got it going offensively got in a rhythm and uh Texas Southern credit to them uh they obviously a lot of these SWAC schools have to play uh a lot of bye games just to you know kind of fundraise for the university uh from fundraise for you know the volleyball program and the soccer program and other programs like that uh so texas southern though whenever you're able to in a buy game situation go on the road and get the win i mean that is that is excellent stuff for this team and uh now you know going forward texas southern probably you know i would say might be the favorite in the swag uh you know, there's there's a couple other good teams, but this is a Texas Southern team. Uh, certainly has the talent uh, to win the SWAC. Uh, you know, getting a Bryson Gresham to come down uh, from Houston that was certainly big. So it, you know, Texas Southern's going to be tough. Not a team you necessarily would want to see if you're you know the 15 seed. They might be able to get a 15 seed now with this type of win. Yeah, and then I guess, like, Texas Tech, Tennessee, like, do we really have to touch too much on that game? Uh, we, we, I think we gotta talk about how ugly this game is, cause this was embarrassment to the sport of basketball. It was bad, like, it was not a good game, like, it was good defense to a certain point, then it was just bad offense. It was kind of interesting. I mean, these are two pretty solid offenses, all things considered, with the talent on both sides. And it was just an off night for both of them. They both looked very bad on the offensive end. I think both are still good teams, but this was a good win for Texas Tech, getting a win over a high-quality opponent. That was something they had not had previously this year. So that should get the Red Raiders going. Kevin O'Banner really struggled in this one. Uh, that's not going to happen too often because he's a really solid player. He was great for Oral Roberts last season. It, you know, when you go four for 24 from deep and then Tennessee went six for 40, it doesn't make for a good basketball game, that's for sure. Kennedy Chandler, only nine points. Like, this was just a bad game for both teams, and it happened to be that they're playing against each other. Uh, yeah. You know, if if the, if this game happens for Tennessee against Anybody in the SEC, they probably lose. Same goes for Texas Tech in the Big 12. So if this was against any other opponent they played like this, they would lose. But, you know, I, I think they both got their terrible game out of the way, and you can move forward. Yeah, and certainly good for Texas Tech to get the win in this. Uh, I certainly felt like neither team really wanted to win this game. Uh, you, you had, uh, I think at one point, Texas Tech airballed a free throw, and then... Uh, Josiah Jordan James went up for a dunk, 
I, I don't know if his leg gave out on him or what happened there, uh, but he fell to the floor, ball flies out of bounds. Uh, just, it, it was kind of like a comedy of errors, just the amount of uh, goofy stuff that was happening and the amount of uh, shots not going in the basket that were going on. Yeah, just just a bad game, bad watch overall. Justin Powell only played eight minutes. That's a pretty interesting one. He has not quite lived up to transfer expectations. And then this game was followed by Villanova and Syracuse. I, I mean, just based on how bad Villanova shot the basketball, it's honestly kind of a miracle that Syracuse didn't somehow win this game. 13 for 50, that's very bad. But, you know, Syracuse just wasn't talented enough to beat Villanova in this game. Syracuse is going to be a weird team all year, like usual. Uh, that, that's about what you can come to expect with the Orange year in and year out. Yeah, and I, I think with this Villanova game, this is a, I think, big win for uh, them because, you know, obviously they had a lot of very good looks throughout the game because they were kind of picking apart and getting very good shots against the Syracuse zone, and the shots just weren't dropping. And for on a night where you shoot 26%, 13 of 50 from three, uh, you miss 37 threes in the game, and you're still able to uh, win. Uh, now, Grand Syracuse isn't the best program, uh, especially right now, uh, but still to win that type of game, uh, that, that speaks to how good this Villanova team is and why you know, many people are picking them as a potential national championship level team. They're definitely a national championship level team any year that Jay Wright is the coach. He is once again. They won't have many shooting nights like this because they are a really good shooting team and they'll be, they'll have a say in what happens in New Orleans in uh, April. I have a feeling we could end up seeing Villanova competing for that final four. Yeah. Uh, it all comes down to brackets, matchups, and uh, whether Villanova decide, has a, you know, seven man rotation at that point. Demir Cosby Roundtree is back. And he's, you know, going to have some sort of role being like a backup five for this team. Yeah, solid, solid, uh, another depth addition. The depth is just not going to be great, though, and that's kind of what we have to expect with Villanova this season. Yeah. Uh, But certainly good to get him into the mix for this team. West Virginia took care of UConn. They won 56-53. to uh, this was, again, not a great offensive matchup. West Virginia, though, comes away with a good win. I, I came impressed with uh, UConn because, obviously, missing uh, two starters, uh, probably their uh, best player in Adama Sonogo, who might be a all-lead type of player, uh, missing Tyrese Martin, who was the starting two-guard for this team, Missing those two players and still finding a way to be in that game at West Virginia is uh, certainly a testament to this UConn program. They certainly grinded it out defensively for some uh, tough shots. West Virginia did miss a lot of free throws, which if they you know, would have lost the game, that would have been something they came back to. Uh, but I came away a little bit impressed with UConn, even though they lost. For UConn, this was a game they could have easily lost by 20 if they didn't play hard because of the amount of talent that they didn't have in this game. Adama Sinogo and Tyrese Martin are the team's two most important players. The way Martin impacts the game on the defensive end and on the glass, and Sinogo, the way he impacts the game 
on both ends, but especially the offensive end. This could have been an easy game for them to just get blown out in. But when you play with heart, when you fight, when you fight for every rebound, when you defend, you're going to compete in games even when the scoring isn't there, even when you have injured players. And that's exactly what we saw from UConn. They put out a great fight against a, against a solid team, not a great team, an NCAA tournament-level team. But UConn was so shorthanded. The fact that they were in this game and competed as hard as they did was impressive to me, like you said. Uh, this is a team, once they're fully healthy, that'll potentially have a say in whatever happens in the Big East this year. Yeah. And as for West Virginia, Tess Sherman and Sean McNeil are very good. They need to find, like, a third or fourth score because you can't rely on them to score basically half your points. Like, Jalen Bridges needs to be better. Uh, you know, Willie Curry, Isaiah Cottrell, it, it doesn't matter who. They need more offense, though. I, I just don't think they really have that guy. I think it's – you have to – if Sherman and McNeil aren't scoring, it's going to be a rough offensive night. They just don't have enough guys that are proven scorers. The team as a whole really struggles from the foul line, only at about 61%. That's one of the worst nationally. If anybody's going to step into that third role, it's probably Jalen Bridges. But when you have a pretty much non-scorer like Malik Curry running the point a fair amount of the time, that's just not going to go great because he's just not a big-time scorer. He's a good defender, but West Virginia has a lot of guys like that that can really defend, but they don't bring much offensively. If Taz Sherman drops 25 a night like he's capable of, then West Virginia is going to be a very solid team that night. But when he's not dropping those numbers and Sean McNeil maybe has to do it or Jalen Bridges is averaging seven a game, Malik Curry seven a game, uh, it, it could be a rough night if their top two guys are off because they only have five players or they only have four players averaging above five points per game this season. Four. Yeah, that's, that's not good. And, uh, even though they get the win, like they, I, I, if they finish last in the Big 12, which I mean, credit kind of goes to the Big 12 that this could be the case, they could, I could see a world where they end up being the last place team in the Big 12. It, they'll still win games. Uh, they might pick off like a Kansas or a Baylor or Texas, like randomly, uh, in Morgantown. But th- this is not a team, you know, I, overall excited to kind of watch and didn't really come away all that impressed with this team. Even though they did get the win, uh, it is a probably going to be a quadrant one win. I think UConn will be a a top 30 team in the net. Uh, Still, I I don't think this West Virginia team is going to the NCAA tournament. Speaking of teams who show a lot of fight, Minnesota, again, they don't have a lot of talent. Like, just being honest, they don't have the most talent. Uh, Peyton Willis has actually been really good playing like an all Big Ten kind of guy right now. Jameson Battle's been pretty good, but there's not a ton of usual Big Ten talent. Like, if your best player is Peyton Willis or Jameson Battle, you're probably going to be picked last in the Big Ten like Minnesota was. They don't have a deep rotation. They only really run about seven guys, uh, Charlie Daniels being the seventh man in the rotation. So they don't play very deep. They're the worst offensive rebounding team in the country, but they don't turn the ball over. They play hard defensively, and that can translate to wins on some nights. Ben Johnson's doing a really good job in year one, and if you're a Minnesota fan, I think you have to be encouraged by what you see with the talent level that this team has. Once Ben Johnson gets a team that he can build, not just only with guys from the transfer portal, once he gets a few recruiting classes under 
uh, under his belt, and then he can haul in a few transfers here and there. But not having your entire team built up of guys who weren't here last year besides Eric Curry and Peyton Willis, if you want to count him, uh, I've, I've been impressed by the fight Minnesota's shown this year because they were doubted. They were picked last in the Big Ten. They fought back in this game. They beat Mississippi State on the road. They played some ugly games, but they played hard, and that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, certainly. I, I think the job Ben Johnson has done has been fantastic because he's, I think, built a you know culture. He's built a scheme that kind of fits this team. You know, they're not going to crash the offensive glass. Why are they not going to crash the offensive glass? Well, they're going to uh, get back and play defense and guard for 30 seconds. Uh, they're going to make sure the other team is not getting an easy look going on the other way because someone uh, crashed the offensive glass and uh, led to a run out on the other end. Uh, you know, and that I think is kind of a smart-minded thing to do. Uh, they've kind of grinded out possessions offensively. Uh, they're scoring you know, a little bit more in the isolation than maybe would be ideal. But this is the way Minnesota's kind of been able to hold themselves in games and ha- give themselves a chance late to uh, win these type of games, whether it's, you know, this game against Michigan State, they obviously fall, but they beat Mississippi State. They beat, uh, they went on the road, beat Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, those are games they could have easily had lost uh, coming into the season. Probably thought they would have lost to Western Kentucky. They end up on the right side of that. Probably thought they would have uh, lost to Mississippi State. They end up on the right side of that. So uh, this type of you know scheme style, uh, however you would like to classify it, is certainly working for Minnesota. I still think you know they're probably going to end up like five and fifteen in Big Ten play. Uh, just when you get into the gauntlet that is the Big Ten, it's hard to kind of rack up wins, but uh have to think, like, in a couple years, if Ben Johnson's able to get some of these Minnesota guys to stay home and play uh at Minnesota, they're going to be in state tournament bound sooner rather than later. It'll take time, no question about it. It's a big rebuild job, uh but at the end of the day, what Ben Johnson's done so far, like I said earlier, has been fantastic. And another new coach who's done fantastic is Arizona's Tommy Lloyd. They got another win over an undefeated Wyoming team. They just won that game easily by 30-plus points. Arizona is one of the best teams in college basketball. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Yeah, and we'll we'll see them play at Illinois. That will be their toughest game. But this was a Wyoming team that, uh, you know, coming in, it was like, you better watch out for this Wyoming team. Uh, they, they're going to be, you know, tough, physical. They're going to, you know, be able to potentially stay in this game. And Arizona's like, yeah, we're going to show up for this game and uh, lead by 30 at the half. And the game was never really even uh, that close. Wyoming, I guess, won the second half. So uh, good for them I, on that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, Wyoming, this was just going to be a tough game for them because Arizona's just a much better team. Wyoming's solid. They're not undefeated good like they were. They're not going to make the tournament. They have a really good big man with Graham E.K. Uh, Hunter Maldonado is a very reliable point guard, but at the end of the day, they just don't have that kind They don't have that kind of talent uh, to where they can beat a team like Arizona. So, you know, it, it, was, it was a good fight, I guess, in the second half, but Arizona won comfortably. Yeah. Uh, 
Moving forward, want to get into some picks here? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Uh, first game, Friday night. Probably listening to this. Uh, it's going on tonight. Uh, Murray State at Memphis. Memphis is a 10-point favorite. Uh, we, Murray we State. Talk, we talked about this on the uh, mid-major top 25. This was an upset special. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think the smart pick here would say Memphis has more talent, but you can't pick they against do. you can't pick Memphis to win this game. So I'm going to go Murray State to win outright. They have more talent than most teams in college basketball, but they just can't find a way to get it going, which is why Murray State wins outright. They cover, they win outright. Murray State is going to upset the Tigers. Yeah. Oh, and the record update, for those listening, I cut into the deficit. You are now 37-31. and 31. I am 34-34. and 34. So still three-game lead for you. Yeah. Uh, but we both have Murray State plus 10 points. Uh, next game up, we have Houston plus one going into Alabama. This is Alabama team come off a nice win against Gonzaga. Are you rolling with the tide? Oh, man, this is a tough one because Houston's going to grind you out. They're going to play hard. I think Houston wins this game because of how hard they play. They're not going to let Alabama just shoot threes all over them. They're not going to let Alabama play as fast as they want. They're going to make Alabama play slower. They're going to try to grind this game out, force turnovers. They're going to make them take tough twos. Give me Houston because Kelvin Sampson knows that a game plan just as good as any coach in the country. I'm going to roll with Alabama here. Uh, I do think it's going to be – I, I would take Houston to win in the first half because I, I think this is going to be like a game Houston kind of dictates tempo for a lot of the first half. Uh, they'll take like the first half lead. And then ultimately, I think Alabama just ha- kind of has the athletes uh, to start getting out and running. So give me the tide to win uh, 71 to 67. That'll be my final score prediction. And they'll cover the one point spread, I guess. Yeah, I don't have a score prediction, but I, I think uh, I think Houston wins. All right. Uh, next game up, this is a big one. Arizona is two-point underdogs heading on the road to take on Illinois. Are you, are you sticking with Arizona as uh, the potential national champion? I'm going with Arizona to win this one. Kofi Coburn will have probably his toughest uh, assignment defensively. Uh, I, I don't know if I said that correctly. He's going to face the toughest defender he's going to face all year with Christian Coloco. Uh, Arizona is great defensively. They play really fast under Tommy Lloyd. If Illinois turns the ball over the way they have been this season, that could be a tough spot for him. Will Andre Corbello come back? That'll be an interesting thing to watch. But I think the pace that Arizona plays with will be a little too fast for Illinois. I'm going to go with Illinois. Uh, stay different here. But, yeah, I just think this is kind of like a game playing uh, in – uh, Champagne, I think that's what it's, how it's pronounced. Uh, playing in Champagne, that's going to be an electric crowd. Uh, the State Farm Center certainly gets pretty loud, so I'm going to roll with Illinois, but uh, this is going to be a very close game. It, it'll definitely be one of the games of the weekend. Another great game, St. Bonaventure at, or is it at UConn? No, it's not. Uh, it is, I think, in the Prudential Center. 
Okay, so neutral site game, UConn against the Bonnies. UConn probably without Sonogo and Tyrese Martin again. Will Kyle Lofton play? We'll see. If Kyle Lofton plays, I think St. Bonaventure wins. Uh, if not, I think UConn wins. Well, you have to give a pick here. Uh, uh, well, I mean, is Kyle Lofton playing? If if we're going under the assumption he plays, it, I mean, I don't know. Like, let's just say he does play, and I'm going to go St. Bonaventure. All right. I'll, I'll mark it if he plays uh, on the show. I'll just take them either way. Why not? All right. There we go. I'll put an asterisk next to it. Be like the Houston Astros. Uh, but I'm rolling with uh, UConn. I just think, you know, whether Sonogo plays, whether Tyrese Martin plays, I just haven't been impressed with St. Bonaventure uh, in this game uh, it, or in this season. And I think they UConn, beat Marquette by like 40. Yeah, they they had one good performance. But other than that, like, I, I think that was kind of like a good matchup for St. Bonaventure because Marquette just gets after you defensively and St. Bonaventure doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, but at the same point, I've not been totally impressed with St. Bonaventure. Uh, so I'm going to go with UConn, who's kind of a, a well-disciplined, good, tough defensive team. I'll go with the Huskies here. Uh, next game up, we have Arkansas against Oklahoma. This one is in Tulsa. Arkansas is three-point favorites. I'm going to Arkansas. I just think they're a better team. We saw Oklahoma just lose to Butler. They did beat Florida. But I think overall, when you look at the two rosters, when you look at their performances, Arkansas is a better offensive team. They're around the same efficiency-wise defensively. But the biggest thing is Arkansas plays way faster. And any game where the tempos are just completely opposite, I tend to lean with the team that plays faster. So I'm going to go Arkansas. I'm going to go Arkansas as well. I just... They're a more talented, better team. Uh, I, I I don't get why the line is only three. Could be because a trap. Because it, it's close to a home game for Oklahoma. Like, it's not a home game, but it's close. Yeah. I, it's, I think it's listed as neutral site. Uh, so It probably technically is, but, like, Tulsa and Norman are probably, like, an hour away from each other, right? Yeah. Although Fayetteville's... Pretty close to Tulsa as well. It's two hours. Fayetteville is also two hours. Okay, I'm not good at geography, so if, you know, I'm just going to assume that the state that it's in is closer. They're three minutes apart, according to Google. So, you know, pretty much it's a a home game for both teams. There we go. Uh, Yeah, but give me uh, Arkansas minus the three points because – they're just a better team. Kentucky, speaking of lines, oh, I was going to say, speaking of lines that make zero sense, why is Kentucky only two-point favorites? I, I was going to ask the same question. Notre uh, name's not that good. They're not that good. Now, granted, Kentucky has played absolutely no one of any note since losing to Duke. This, this line is disrespectful. I'm going to say a few numbers here. 20%, 25%, 17%, 33%, 
That is the shooting percentage from three for Nate Lashevsky, Trey Wirtz, Cormac Ryan, and Prentice Hub. For a team that takes a lot of threes, for a team that's supposed to be a good three-point shooting team, they are not a good three-point shooting team. Blake Wesley, the freshman, has probably been their best player this year, and he's very talented. He's an NBA-level player. This team's just not that good. Kentucky's way better. Probably should be like, I feel like it's not going to actually be two. It'll probably be like five or six because Kentucky's just significantly better. Yeah, so we, we both think this is an obvious slam dunk, dunk pick. We're both picking Kentucky minus Which the means two Notre points. Dame's going to win. Exactly. That That's what's going to happen. That's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, which, that that might be fun because uh, Notre Dame I don't is, think it'd be fun at all, actually. I, I prefer Kentucky just. I'd prefer Kentucky plays like Kentucky. I mean, I just want a good game. I don't really care who wins, I guess. But uh, Notre Dame hasn't been fun to watch. Well, I'll yeah. say that. It, it would just be, like, so college basketball if Notre Dame wins this game, though. Like, that is typical college basketball. Very true. Uh, next game up, though, we have Wisconsin, fresh off, uh, nearly losing Danny, heading on the road to take on Ohio State. I'm rolling with the Buckeyes here. I just think, uh, one, Wisconsin nearly uh, lost that game uh, at home to Indiana. I think they're kind of playing with uh, fire, as you would say. And I think Ohio State, it's going to be a good home atmosphere. Uh, they're going to show up for this game. So give me the Buckeyes to win this one. Big Ten teams don't lose at home. Buckeyes all day. All right, there we go. Live consensus picks since the St. Bonaventure one. I feel like on this one here will be different. UCLA giving seven at Marquette. Ooh, this is a good one. I think yeah. I know what side you're going to go with, and I'm probably going to. Unless we're on the same page, I don't think we are. Uh, I'm going to go Marquette. Just to- Ooh, okay. So we do have the same pick. I thought you were going to go UCLA. Yeah, I I can't buy into UCLA, which obviously for both picking Marquette plus the seven means uh, Marquette probably isn't going to cover, but I'm not buying well, into the UCLA hype right now. It's not that I don't buy into UCLA. It's that I think Marquette is just good. Tyler Kolick hasn't shot the ball well this year, only 21%. He's going to have to get that going. Daryl Morsell's taking a step back after the really hot start to the year. I think he could get it going. But the one thing with this Marquette team that is a guarantee is that they're going to play hard. That's going to happen all the time. They aren't nearly as talented as UCLA. Tiger Campbell's one of the best point guards in the country. I don't think Marquette wins. I think they keep it very close. Like, this is going to be a last possession game. It's going to be a Tiger Campbell pull-up mid-range jumper for the win, probably. Give me UCLA to win, Marquette to cover. Yeah, I like that uh, prediction. I'll go uh, 74 to 70. Uh, slightly. Yeah, it, I don't. Seven's too much. Seven's just too much. Yeah. Big line. Big number. Uh, meanwhile, Colorado State, only one point favorites uh, against Mississippi State. This, play, this game is played uh, at Dickey's Arena. Uh, you know, solid basketball arena name, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with Colorado State minus the point. Colorado State is the best three point shooting team in the country. They're shooting over 80 percent from the foul line. 
The only thing is that they're significantly smaller than Mississippi State with Tolu Smith and Garrison Brooks playing. But that also means that Miss, that uh, Colorado State's going to be able to space them out, going to make them guard the perimeter. And that's going to mean it's going to be a big offensive day for the Rams. They're going to move to 10-0. and 0, And if they are not ranked next Monday, I will be shocked. Yeah. We, we've already said they need to be ranked. Uh, this game will be a coronation of their ranking, hopefully. And they'll beat Alabama in a couple weeks, too. All right. Already making predictions two weeks out? I'll probably change my mind, but for now I'll say that. All right. Uh, got some rivalry games, three kind of uh, old school. I guess this this rivalry. Oh, is that why Missouri's here? Is that why the Missouri game's here? I'm like, I I will not be watching this game. Yeah. Uh, first off, Cincinnati plus eight at Xavier. Uh, this is a uh, – the, these two teams hate themselves, like – or hate each other uh, because, yeah, obviously the big brawl that happened, I think, in 2011 or 2012. Mm, uh, yeah. Got that. No, it was before that. It was before that because it was – Yancey Gates was still on Cincinnati. It had to have been before that. I guess he was done in 2012. I thought he played earlier than that. Huh. We're, we're going to... 2011. 2011. I think I said either 2011 or 2012. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Cincinnati to cover the eight-point spread. It's just a As lot. As am I. Yep. It's a lot of points. A lot of points. Uh, Cincinnati, similar to Marquette, they play tough defensively. That's what Wes Miller's coaching DNA is. Uh, and Xavier, they did get Zach Fremantle back. He looked really good the other day. But it's going to be a high-pressure game. I'm not sure how Fremantle's going to play, given this is like his first big test since coming back. Give me Cincinnati to maybe win. I'm not sure. I think they'll cover. Yeah, I, th- I think Xavier will win, but it's going to be like – it's going to be close. It's going to be competitive. It's going to be like – I think, like, if as you head into, like, the final two minutes, Xavier will be up, like, 64 to 60 or something like that and uh, end up kind of putting the game away with free throws. Uh, but eight is just a lot of points uh, to pick a team to win by. So give me give me Xavier or Cincinnati to cover the spread and Xavier to win the game. Yeah, and this next game, like, I'm going to be honest, I, I really am not going to be watching this game at all. Like, I I will not be watching this game. There's got to be something else to watch because Missouri is 20-point underdogs against Kansas. Honestly, it's probably not enough. They're just not a good team. They'll probably lose by 30. The return of the border war, first time two programs play since 2012, Kansas. 20-point favorites against Missouri. We're both maybe maybe next time they play, maybe next time they play, Missouri will actually be good. I don't know when they play again after this, but I know this game won't be good. I'll tell you that. Yeah, they. I think they're playing every other year now going forward, uh, and okay. next year they'll play at Missouri Arena or Mizzou Arena. So. Yeah, be, I'll tell you, they're not going to win. That's what I feel confident saying. Yeah, there's a reason it's a twenty point spread. Uh, and we're both taking Kansas to cover the 20-point spread, which means Missouri's going to make a uh, half-court three at the buzzer to uh, cover the spread and uh, only lose by 19. Yep. All right. 
Although we, I guess we are fi- over 500, so maybe we're over exaggerating these bad things happening uh, to our picks. That's true. But, yeah. Th- this next one, Syracuse only giving one to Georgetown. I don't know. That 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 seems weird to me. That seems like that that gives me vibes of Georgetown wins, but there's no chance I'm taking Georgetown just because Syracuse is a better team, uh, unquestionably the better team. But Georgetown, I feel like I feel like I don't know. This is a game Georgetown can win, but I don't think they will win. They're just not good enough. I'm going Georgetown uh, because really, I, I was I get they didn't play anyone good, but they they scored a lot of points. I think a hundred and what was hundred three, hundred exactly. Caden Rice made ten threes. There we go. So I mean. He, Against the Syracuse zone, you're going to get plenty of open three-point attempts. Uh, I'm going to go Georgetown to win this game, uh, because why not? Yeah, the Hoyas have also lost to St. Joe's and Dartmouth, so they're just not very good. That's that's the conclusion I come to. If Caden Rice scores 35 again, maybe they win, but I'm going uh, Syracuse here. All right. Probably the smart pick, but going with the Hoyas here. Uh, Sunday, this is the big game of the weekend, though. It is Villanova heading on the road to take on Baylor. Uh, this is, you know, Baylor, if they're able to win this, they would retake the number one spot first time since 2020, since the AP poll, which I don't know why they don't do a postseason poll. Uh, it is kind of befuddling to see say the least, that they don't do a postseason poll, because Baylor would have been ranked number one since they won the NCAA championship, but uh, Baylor, this is going to be a coordination game, they're going to win this game by over five points, and take the number one ranking for the first time uh, since 2020, I guess, was the last time. So, since like a year and a half ago? Yes. I mean, they they should have been ranked number one, though, at the end of last season, coming into this season. So that there, there's some extra motivation that prove that they are the number one team uh, still. And they could be back-to-back national champs for the first time since 05, 06, 06, 07 Florida. I might be off on the years by year. Yeah. But, uh, that, that was right? Yeah. Okay, so Baylor will be ranked number one after beating Villanova by five or more. There we go. Uh, although Villanova, that Villanova could, you know, they went 13 of 50 from three against Syracuse. They're probably not. If gonna, they do that again, they're going to lose. I'll tell yeah, you that for certain. They're probably not going to take 53s this game because Baylor will actually guard on the perimeter. They probably will. They probably will. I will. I will take the under on 49 and a half three point attempts. I mean, with with Baylor playing the no middle defense. They they do allow a lot of threes, a fair amount, 37% of the opponents. So, like, 37% of shots. So they're, like, middle of the pack in college basketball. Yeah. I don't think they're taking – like, Syracuse's zone is just anchored for teams to drive in and – Score 90 points a game because the the zone that Syracuse – the 2-3 Syracuse plays is terrible. Yeah, I agree. I, I know there's like the analytics shot uh, shot quality. I don't know if you release like a 
tape or like what the game score should have been, but it's like does the projections of what the game score should have been based on the shots taken. I, I'd imagine if that was done, Villanova won that game by like 25. Because they, mm-hmm. they had some wide open looks that they just did not knock down. Very true. So maybe they knocked down all these wide open looks against Baylor, uh, but we'll see, I guess. Final game. Another right. rivalry. Rutgers plus 10 after beating number one Purdue. Is this kind of a letdown spot? They're 10-point underdogs. I'm going to take Rutgers with the points. Seton all the win. So you're taking Rutgers plus the 10? Yep, Seton all the win. I'm taking uh, Seton Hall to uh, cover the 10-point spread. And win, I guess, Uh, if you're covering a 10-point spread. Well, yeah, I I would assume if you're going to – if you're taking them minus 10, I'd assume they're probably going to win. That would also be your prediction. Yeah. That'd be uh, kind of strange, though, if they didn't. Yeah. Seton Hall covers the 10-point spread, but uh, loses on uh, forfeit. Hey, that's it. I don't know why they would forfeit, though. Yeah, if they're winning, there's no reason to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, give give me the Pirates, though. Major letdown spot. We still don't know if Rutgers is going to have who they're going to have for this game. Uh, so give me Seton Hall. Uh, so that will wrap it up for this podcast, unless you have anything else uh, to uh, bring on the podcast before we sign off here. I do not have anything else to add. I, I do not either. So make sure to uh, subscribe, uh, leave a review, leave preferably five stars. Uh, been you know a lot of the people that have been leaving reviews, have been leaving five-star reviews. We appreciate that. Uh, we'll be back next time to break down what is kind of the first real weekend of college basketball, because we, we've had weekend games, but they haven't been, like, premier matchups. This is, like, the first weekend we have, like, premier matchups, uh, great weekend slate of games, uh, and... All the games will be on national TV. We don't have college football to take up all the TV time, which is good as well. Yeah, that's true. All right, that will wrap it up. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll be back next time.